0: Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, next Sunday we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and it's announced ahead of time so that we can prepare ourselves for taking the body and blood of the Lord. And so it's a good thing on this first Sunday in September to reflect on the teaching and the confession of the church in question answer 81 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? And if you look at the answer, it is a description of believers. Believers are those who come in repentance and in faith. The description we have here in question answer 81 does not apply to people that don't know the Lord Jesus. But it also doesn't apply to just anyone in the congregation. For instance, the words here in the answer Eighty-one do not apply to our newborn infants and very young children. People outside of Christ are not displeased with themselves because of their sins. They don't trust that their sins are forgiven. They don't desire to live in more and more holiness. And even people in the church... From birth, we are the same way. We do not know these things. We do not experience these things automatically just by being born in the covenant. We have to become this way. And you see that if you remember the form for baptism. Every time there's a baptism, we read that form. And you remember those words right at the beginning. We and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again, unless we become regenerated, born again, regenerated, unless we get a new heart, unless we become believers. Only regenerated sinners, born again sinners, can do the things that we have here in the answer 81. Only born again sinners, believers, can recognize and hate their sin trust in Christ for forgiveness, and desire to live a new life of faith. Well, the question is, how do you get regenerated then? Well, the Bible tells us. You remember 1 Peter chapter 1, where the apostle says this, You have been born again, regenerated, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God which was preached to you. That's how you get a new heart. That's how you get a new life. That's how you are born again through the preaching of the word of God. And the apostle says, this second birth, this new birth, is of a different kind of seed. You see, the first birth that we have is from a perishable seed. And perishable means that it it dies. It's mortal. It doesn't last forever. So in a human birth, the father plants seed in the womb of the mother. A child is born, but because it is a child of Adam, it will die. And when we look at the other thing that Peter talks about, he speaks about an imperishable seed... That is the Holy Spirit planting the word in our hearts so that we are born from above. And so believers are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And because believers are born of God, they will live forever. That's what it is to be regenerate, to have a new birth, and to be alive in Christ forever. Now, believers are called believers because they believe in something. There is content to their faith, and that content is the Word of God, the revelation of God. And the Word of God reveals God. The Word of God reveals Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, and His work of creation, redemption, and sanctification. And it is primarily through the Word of God that we come to know, to love, and to trust God. As we study the Word, it is, as it is taught to us, as we grow in the Word, as we learn the Word, as we are discipled in the Word, we come to know God more and more. That's why believers in the Scriptures are called disciples. Disciple means one who is taught under the teaching of a master, and that master is Jesus. Now, students are, good students, are eager to study and to know. And good students of the Word of God are eager to study and to know the Word of God as it is written in the Scriptures, and to know the Word of God incarnate, the Word of God made flesh, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you remember what the Lord Jesus told the apostles just before he ascended into heaven. He said, go into all the world, And make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so Jesus didn't tell the disciples, didn't tell the apostles to go out into the world and randomly baptize people to make them into instant Christians. He taught them to disciple people, to teach them about God, to teach them about Christ, and to bring them uh, into communion with Christ and with the church. And so the Lord's Supper is for believers. The Lord's Supper is for disciples of Christ. The Lord's Supper is for those who have been instructed in the faith and have embraced the faith from the heart. Now, look, if you've got your psalm book handy, just look at question answer 81 for a second, or for a few seconds. Just Look at those words, and and do you discern a structure here which is familiar to you? Just as you read through it, those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them, that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. Those three parts to the answer here, where have you seen them before? Have you not seen them at the beginning of the catechism? You remember where the catechism begins? It says, what's your only comfort in life and death? Well, that I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul and life and death. Well, What do you need to know to live in the joy of that comfort? Well, you need to know your sins and misery, how you are delivered from your sin and misery, and how to live in thankfulness because of that deliverance. You see that structure right here in the answer? Sin and misery, deliverance, and thankfulness. Those three parts are right here in the answer. And there's a reason for that. Because the Catechism is simply instruction to prepare people for the table. The Catechism is simply instruction in the faith, instruction in the word. For 2,000 years, the church has required that those who come from the world and those who are born in the church be instructed in the basic teachings of the word of God in order to prepare them to come to the table of the Lord. The church knows from the scripture and teaches us that our only comfort in life and death, the comfort for every believer, is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore. By his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. The church knows and teaches that, that truth from the Scripture, and then the church knows and teaches from the Scripture that to live and to die in the joy of that comfort, of this faith, the believer must know three things. How great his sins and misery are, how he is delivered from his sins and misery, How he is to be thankful to God for such deliverance. And question and answer 81 says, who are to come to the table of the Lord? The answer is people that know those three things. And those three things are taught and developed throughout the entire catechism. The three parts are literally those three things. Sin and misery, or sin, salvation, and service. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Those are the three parts. And so the church for 2,000 years has catechized, has discipled, has instructed new converts and the children of believers in the Christian faith using the teaching of the word of God, teaching them the law of God to help them to understand their great sin and misery, their need for a savior, teaching them in the creed, which is a summary of the entire scripture, a summary of all the saving work and the mighty redemptive, acts of the triune God in history recorded in Scripture, teaching them from that creed so that they can see how they're delivered from their sin and misery, and then teaching them the law of God again in more detail so they know how to live in thankfulness for their deliverance. And then finally, at the end, teaching them the Lord's Prayer so that they know where to find the power to live a transformed life, a holy life of thankful obedience. And if you look through the last 2,000 years of church history and you look around the world at different catechisms used by the church in different countries, different cultures, different languages, different places, different times, you will see over and over and over those three things in the catechisms. You'll see the Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. So what's my point with all of this? Well, the believer... The person who ought to come to the table doesn't just happen. It's not as though we have children, they're baptized, and then we just kind of randomly send them to some school somewhere, and, and then one day, magically, suddenly they're confessing these truths are true for them. That's not how it works. For someone to come to the table of the Lord with this attitude line, outlined here in question answer 81 is a result of much teaching, much instruction of the Word of God. And that's why when we bring our children to baptism, we make a vow. And one of the vows we make is this. I believe that this church teaches the doctrine of the Word of God. And I also vow, I also promise, to instruct our child in this doctrine as soon as he is able to understand, and to have him instructed to the utmost of our power. Those are the promises we make at baptism. Why? Why do we promise that they will be instructed in the Word of God? Is it Are we promising that we're going to fill the heads of our kids with all kinds of Bible trivia and good theological facts? No, that's not what we're promising. We want our children to become disciples of Christ. We want them to be taught the doctrines of the Word of God. We want them to be taught about the mighty saving acts of God in Christ so that as they are instructed, as they learn these things, they come to know God, to love God, to put their trust in God, so that they become believers who confess their faith. Our desire as we catechize our children and have them instructed in the Word of God is that our children one day will know themselves so well and know God so well that they will be truly displeased with themselves because of their sins. And yet, trust that these are forgiven them and that the remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ. We want our children to show that they desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. And amend their life is a very old-fashioned way of saying, live a life which is more holy, which is more Christ-like, which is more obedient. The power of the Spirit. That's what we want to see. Now we're about to begin a new season of catechism, and the catechism of the church has the same goal as the teaching of the parents in the home and in the Christian schools. The catechism of the church doesn't want to, to fill the heads of our children, of the youth of the church, with random theological facts. That's not the point. We are preparing our children to come to the table of the Lord. We are preparing our catechumens, those new to the faith, and those preparing to be received as members. We're preparing them to come to the table. We're teaching doctrine, we're teaching truths of the scripture And the goal is that it would have an effect which changes hearts and lives in a way that we can see. Now throughout history, uh, throughout the history of the church and throughout all of the scripture, admission to the communion table has been through discipling, through the way of instruction. We never have in all of recorded church history, we never have, in redemptive history recorded in the New or the Old Testaments uh, a moment or any example of someone knowing nothing about God or sin or salvation or sanctification and simply being at the table. That never happens. Matthew 23 verse 10 speaks of Christ, that he is our one teacher, that he is our one instructor, and there In Matthew 23, when the scripture talks about Christ as our one instructor, the word in Greek is catechist or catechizer. Christ is our great catechism teacher. That word is right in the Bible there in Matthew 23. He catechized, he taught, he discipled his students for three years, and then he broke bread with them at the first Lord's Supper. And from the beginning of the New Testament church, new converts and children of unbelievers were instructed and discipled in the word of God. And upon profession of their faith, they were received into full communion with the church at the table of the Lord. Think of Timothy. Timothy was brought up with the word of God. He was taught the word by his mother and his grandmother. And when he was older, what does the Bible say? He made the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses Timothy professed his faith publicly before God and the church and was received into communion of the new testament church eating the supper and confessing the faith are things that go together someone who doesn't know the gospel someone who doesn't believe the gospel cannot confess the faith and if you can't confess the faith you can't eat That's what we confess here in question answer 81. That's what we confess also in the Belgian Confession, Article 35. I'm just going to quote a little line there from Article 35 of the Belgian Confession. Finally, we receive this holy sacrament in the congregation of the people of God with humility and reverence as we together commemorate the death of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving, and we confess our faith and Christian religion, eating the supper goes together with confessing. That's why we always do that. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper next week, we're going to confess the faith in the middle of that celebration. And that's what the church has been doing around the world for the last 2,000 years. Now, the Scripture often speaks about instruction for the disciples of Christ— You read the New Testament, it speaks about those who are children and needing spiritual milk and that they need to grow up in understanding the gospel and and they need to get to the point where they're eating solid food. You think of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so you can be a little child physically, mentally, in terms of maturity, spiritually. And you can also be a little child, even though you're an adult, but you're new to the faith. So you're a child in the faith. And whatever kind of child you are, you need the milk of basic discipling, basic instruction in basic gospel truths. Because little children don't have the power of discernment. They don't have the knowledge necessary to discern. They need to learn so that they can distinguish good from evil and sin from unrighteousness. This is important because what does the Scripture say about participating in the supper without discernment? Well, we know. We read it there in 1 Corinthians, didn't we? Those who eat and drink without discerning the body... Eat and drink judgment upon themselves. And so, what does that mean if we are to give little children and uninstructed new converts if we're to give them the supper, the supper? What does that mean? Well, it means that we're offering something to them that could bring judgment upon them, that could destroy them, giving a, an uncatechized child or an uncatechized new convert, the Holy Supper, is like taking a big piece of steak and ramming it down the throat of a newborn child. It's not a good idea. It's not going to be good for them. As it has been for 2,000 years, so already in the Old Testament, participation in the sacrament required instruction and an understanding of a belief in the basic doctrine taught in the sacrament. You, you look at Exodus 12 for a moment. Go to Exodus 12, verse 24, if you have your Bible handy. And you see there in verse 24, Exodus 12, verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. What God is saying here is that this will be done from generation to generation. It's not a one-off thing, but... In every generation, the church will continue to observe this rite. That's verse 24. Then look at verses 25 and 26. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say "It is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. The children don't say, what do we mean? The children say, what do you mean? This is catechism. They're seeing the adults participating. They're seeing the father participate in the sacrifice of the Passover. They ask the question, they get the answer. They're being catechized. So explaining what is happening is part of the church's job, going way back into the Old Testament to the Passover, which is the precursor to the Lord's Supper. Explaining the word, explaining the sacrament, is preparing the children for the table. It's catechism instruction. Now, sometimes we get into conversations with each other and we think about these things and we we think, should uncatechized, non-professing children come to the table? Should we give the supper to our little children as soon as they are able to eat solid food? And we might be inclined to answer with a quick yes based on their covenant status. They're part of the church. They're members of the body. After baptism, we thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us and our children all of their sins. They're covered in the blood of Christ. They're part of the congregation, which is the community of faith. They they certainly bear the mark of being included and being part of the family of God. And so if we just kind of answer quickly, should they also take the supper? We might say, well, why not? They're part of the body. They're members. But what does our confession say? Look at question answer 81. What does our confession say to that question? Our confession says, no, don't give the supper to the little children. Because who can come to the table of the Lord? You need to know stuff first. You need to have a certain disposition of your heart. You need to have a certain maturity in knowing the things of the Lord. And you need to know who He is, who you are, what sin is, what forgiveness is, what deliverance is, what holiness and sanctification are. There's something that has to happen first. Now, the confession says no, but the confession could be wrong. Maybe we have to change the confession. The thing is, brothers and sisters, is that it has always been no in the church. In the last 2,000 years, and going back into Bible times, the Scriptures teach us that the answer is no. Children, uncatechized, non-professing children, do not belong at the table. In the Old Testament, only the mature, the instructed, the catechized men participated in the eating of the sacrifice of the Passover. The family would participate in the unleavened bread and the other things, but only the men participated in the sacrifice meat. One of the three sacrificial feasts that all the adult males had to keep was the Passover. And any catechized male who didn't keep the feast would be excommunicated from the Old Testament church. If you didn't show up, you were cut off from God's people. But that only applied to the men. They had to go. And if they didn't go, they were excommunicated. The great sacrifices in the temple, the meat was, in the case of the whole burnt offering, not eaten by anyone. When the meat was eaten, it was eaten by the priests. And only the peace offering was an offering, a sacrifice where women and children would also eat of the sacrificed meat, part of the sacrificed meat. All the other offerings were either for the priests alone or for the males, the catechized Males. And the practice was, in the history of God's people in the Old Testament, and also in the time of the Lord Jesus, that there was catechism instruction. Not something we've made up as a church. There were three years of instruction from the age of 10 to 13, and at 13, a young man became bar mitzvah, which, is, which means a son of the commandment. And he would begin to participate in the sacrament. We see that right there in Luke 2. At the end of Luke 2, we see Jesus, like any other Israelite boy of 12 years old, according to the custom, going with his parents to the Passover in Jerusalem. What we see in Luke 2 is the final year of Jesus' catechism. Next year, he will be bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment. He will be considered spiritually mature, and he will be able to participate in the eating of the sacrificed Passover meat. This year, at 12, he is found in the temple doing what? Catechism. Questions and answers with the teachers. It's his final year of catechism. It's his profession of faith. And next year, he'll participate in the meal, the sacrificial meal. Because the Passover can only be kept by faith. You remember Hebrews chapter 11? By faith, Moses kept the Passover. And in the Old Testament, the sign of belonging to the covenant, circumcision, was for the males. The females belonged too. They didn't get the sign because it wasn't possible because of the type of sign. In the New Testament, The sign of belonging to the covenant, baptism, is given to male and female. And a similar thing happens with the Passover, with the fellowship meal, the communion meal of the covenant. In the Old Testament, eating the sacrificed Passover lamb was a sign for the catechized males. In the New Testament, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is for the catechized males and females. So that's kind of similar to how circumcision now applies to women and men. So the supper is now for males and females. What hasn't changed is that the sacrament of inclusion is for infants, and the sacrament of communion is for catechized adults. So what I'm going to do, this is a big topic, and for some of you, some of the things I'm saying may be somewhat new or perhaps even startling. But I'm going to end looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 very briefly. There's lots of scripture, there's lots of church history which speaks to this. I'm going to limit myself to drawing four things from 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11. So first of all, look there at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. When when the apostle begins to talk about the supper, he says, I speak as to sensible people. And the word there is a word which refers to people that are rational people that have been instructed, people that have understanding. So Paul is not speaking to the infants, to the uncatechized children. He's speaking to the catechized adults, those who have instruction in the word. And then I want to look just at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, those verses that we, we looked at. And I want to call your attention to the difference between the two sacraments that we have. Baptism is the sign of covenant inclusion, that you belong to God's people and congregation. And in baptism, you are totally passive. You just receive it. Whether you're a child or an adult, you just receive it. But Lord's Supper is different. Lord's Supper is a sign of covenant communion, of participation. You are active in it. So let's look at four things that we need to do be active in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The first one is there in verse 25. You see there in verse 25 where he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's the instruction of the apostle. That's the instruction of the Lord through the apostle. He's quoting the Lord here. In remembrance of me. That means that you need to know who Jesus is to take the supper. You need to remember who he is and what he's done. If you're a child, an infant that's just beginning to eat solid food, you can't take the supper in remembrance of Christ. You need to be catechized, you need to be instructed, you need to be mature in faith to know who Christ is, what he has done, and what you are remembering. And an infant or a person totally new to the faith cannot do this. Then look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And again, an uncatechized child or a newcomer to the faith cannot proclaim the Lord's death. They can't proclaim the Lord's death because they don't know who the Lord is, what his death means, what his atoning sacrifice was, what it accomplished, and what the Bible teaches about his coming again. If you haven't been catechized, you can't proclaim the Lord's death as you take the supper. And then look at verse 26 again. I think it's verse 26. Sorry, that's verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let a person examine himself. An infant, a newcomer to the faith, cannot examine himself. They don't know the law of God. They don't know what sin is. They don't know their sin. They don't know how to examine themselves, whether they be in the faith. They don't know what the faith is. They have not yet been instructed or catechized in the faith. Therefore, they can't examine themselves participate. And then look at verse 29. Verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 11. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now discerning the body can mean a lot of different things. I'll pull them all together because I think there's, there's a bunch of things that come together in, in what this means. It, it means discerning, first of all, the difference between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. It means having a thorough knowledge of our sin and knowing our unworthiness and Christ's worthiness. It means discerning Christ in the sacrament that by faith we eat the body and drink the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, not physically, but spiritually. It means that we discern the work of the Spirit of Christ in uniting us to him and to one another as members of the same body, that we discern our place as members of the body of Christ, and the duty that we have to love one another so deeply that we're even ready to die for one another. Those are all things bound up in discerning the body. An infant can't do that. A total newcomer to the faith can't discern the body because they have not yet been discipled, instructed, catechized. And so as we begin a new catechism season, and as we drive to the church building every Tuesday to drop off our older children and our teens, and as some of us here in the church meet with catechumens that are new to the faith and, and go over the teaching of the catechism, remember what we're doing, brothers and sisters. This is not just one more tradition. It's not one more Canadian reform custom that we're just kind of doing and we get back into the routine and we mindlessly go through it. That's not what's happening. We are preparing these newcomers to the faith or we're preparing these young children and these teens. We're preparing them to come to the table of the Lord. We're preparing them to experience the deepest, the most intimate communion with Christ and his church that is possible this side of heaven. And that intimate, deep communion is only for professed believers. That's our desire. That's our goal for our children. That all these things they're learning would help them to see the grace and the glory and the majesty, the mercy of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that seeing him, they would love him. And they would say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but you're a savior of sinners, and I trust in you, and I want to live my life for you now and forever. That's the goal of catechism. And it is an awesome thing, brothers and sisters, an awesome thing. So may the Lord bless it, and may he be glorified in it. Amen.